evidence and answers. Tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucharin. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will be interviewing nuclear engineer and physicist Ian Hutchinson. So to start, here's Pat with a few words. You know, a few days ago, a book came across my desk by Dr. Ian Hutchinson, a MIT professor, a professor of physics and of nuclear science and engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And the book was, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? An MIT professor answers questions on God and science. And I read the book, and it was quite a challenging book. And although I don't agree with Dr. Hutchinson on several of his points in the book, Overall, the majority of it I agreed with, and I think most of our listeners who are Christian would agree with most of what he has to say. It is a challenging read. And I thought it was worthy to interview him because he is one of the top scientists in the world. Dr. Ian Hutchinson, a professor at MIT, one of the top scientists in the world. And he is a man deeply committed to the Bible, and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I thought it was worthy to hear from one of the top scientists of our time and also a committed believer in Jesus Christ. So although in the interview there are some positions he took that I would disagree with and maybe some of our listeners may disagree with, I think overall we would agree with what the majority of the positions that he took. And so here on Evidence and Answers, as you know, we don't always interview people that agree with us down the line on every philosophical or or theological position. In fact, we even have those, if you listen to some of my debates, uh, who even oppose our position. But when there are people who have something worthy to say, like Dr. Ian Hutchinson, and people worthy to at least listen to, we'll put them on evidence and answers, even if we don't agree on everything they say. But I believe that this interview will be very challenging. I think his book is a very challenging read from a man deeply committed to Christ. And I think we'd agree on most of the content in his book and in the interview. There are parts that we we may disagree with, but nevertheless, I think he had something worthy to say from a man who has done significant work in science and is committed to Christ. So that's why we decided to air this interview with Dr. Ian Hutchison, and I hope it'll be a challenge to many of you who listen to this interview we had with him today. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Science and Christianity. Are they at war or are they indeed complementary to one another? There's a popular idea in the culture today is that science and Christianity are at war and and a serious scientist cannot believe in miracles. Is that indeed the case? Well, to help us address this issue is Dr. Ian Hutchinson. Ian Hutchinson is a plasma physicist and professor of nuclear science and engineering at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He was born in England, educated at Cambridge University and received his doctorate from Australian National University. His research group explores the confinement of plasmas hotter than the sun's center aimed at producing practical energy from nuclear fusion reactions, the energy source of stars. So, Dr. Hutchinson, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Yes. Now, explain to us a little bit of what you do here. It says your research explores confinement plasmas 
hotter than the sun's center, aimed sure. at producing practical energy from nuclear fusion reactions. Explain to us a little bit what that is all about. Fusion reactions are a type of nuclear reaction where you take light elements and you fuse them together to he get heavier elements. That's the opposite of the nuclear energy that we currently know how to deploy, which is fission, taking heavy elements like uranium and breaking them up. That yields energy. Fusion is the energy source that powers the sun and stars. To make fusion reactions take place, you need incredibly high temperatures. Like the center of the sun, actually, we need them slightly larger than, higher than the center of the sun. And at those high temperatures, gases are changed in their character. The electrons are stripped off the ions and they become what are called plasmas. And these have interesting and important electrical properties. And what we're trying to do is to scale down creations fusion reactors, which are the stars, bring them down to the Earth scale or the human scale and make fusion reactions work on Earth. Very difficult, but that's what I've been working on for most of my career. Yes, and you've written and spoken widely on the relationship between science and Christianity. You're an author of over 200 research articles and several books. So tell us briefly about your journey, how you as a student of science came to believe in a creator and in came to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I became a Christian when I was an undergraduate at Cambridge University. I wasn't totally ignorant of Christianity prior to that because I'd gone to a school that had a nominal connection to the Christian church, but I hadn't taken it seriously. I hadn't believed it. And although I had read and studied to some extent the, the New Testament, I didn't believe it, uh, I guess. But when I went to uh, college, uh, Cambridge, I uh, had two close Christian friends. These were people whose lives were attractive to me. Uh, and whose friendship was meant was important to me, and who took uh, the Christian faith really seriously and and believed it, and they invited me to go to a series of lectures uh, given by Michael Green, who was widely known Christian speaker at the time, and it struck me at that time as a new idea. I don't know whether I'd ever heard it before, but I certainly it hadn't and hadn't had any impact on me, but actually the evidence for Christianity is actually, is quite strong. In particular, the evidence for the resurrection is serious evidence that needs to be answered. And it was in large measure through that process that I eventually reached the point of realizing that to become a serious Christian meant committing one's life to Christ. And I took that step as, as a student then. And my Christian faith grew, if you like, with also my scientific knowledge through that college experience. That's interesting that you say that the evidence for Christianity was strong, especially the resurrection. What did you find in the arguments for the resurrection that was compelling for you? Well, I think the evidence for the resurrection, it's important to realize the evidence for the resurrection is not, is not scientific evidence. It's historical evidence, by and large. And that's, of course, what, one, what it has to be. Um, and the reason for that is because scientific evidence is based on reproducible experiments or observation. But for a unique event like the resurrection, you can't do scientific experiments on it. And in fact, you can't do scientific experiments on any of the unique events of history. So history, the facts of history are not established by science. History is a different discipline. The knowledge that history, history and historians have is different. But it's still real knowledge. I mean, we still know lots of things about the ancient world, about Caesar, about Cicero, about all the people who lived in those times. And we know 
some serious facts about the person of Jesus Christ. Not with the kinds of certainty that we expect in science that come from this focus on the reproducible aspects of the world, but still with a good degree of plausibility. So I, I probably shouldn't take time to go over the historical arguments for the resurrection, but they're all surrounded, what we know about the founding of the, of the Christian church, about what the disciples did, about the fact that they were willing to sacrifice their lives in support of the testimony they gave, which was that Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared to them. Yes. Now, one of the things that you stated there is that science, you know, has its limits, Many are under the thinking that, you know, real knowledge, or the only real knowledge there is, is, is scientific knowledge, things that we can prove, you know, through the empirical sciences. But you s- stated here that science has, you know, limits. What are the limits of science? Uh, you touched on history there. What are those limits? The limits of science are inherent to the way it approaches its problems. And as I've just explained, reproducibility is absolutely crucial to science. We base our scientific knowledge on the things that we can observe or measure or investigate reproducibly and that can be described having a a kind of clarity which comes from measurement and other special ways in which we express the results so that we can establish whether we've got reproducible results. But there are many things in the world and in our lives which are not reproducible. History is is an important example, but but there are many other things which don't possess either the reproducibility or the clarity that science insists on. And those are things like politics or sociology or many other of of the humanities disciplines, which are important sources of knowledge and understanding in our world, but yet do not and cannot use the methods of science. And so science is intrinsically limited. You're right that many people don't recognize this. You're right that many people adopt the view that somehow science is the royal route to knowledge and and everything we really know, we we know from science. But I, as a scientist, want to say, no, that's false. Science has extremely important and exciting and interesting knowledge about the world. It has the ability to develop technology, which is also very impactful in, in the world as a whole. But it isn't all the knowledge we have. Yes. Now, Many say that Christianity and science are incompatible, that you can't be a serious scientist and believe in the God of the Bible, or that science and Christianity are actually at war with one another. And where did this idea come from? Yeah, that's an idea that's been promoted for quite a while now. It began most predominantly in the middle of the 19th century as part of a deliberate campaign to secularize universities. And it was promoted by people like A.D. White, whose famous book, History of the Warfare of Science with Theology in Christendom, was the outcome of a long campaign of pamphleteering that he had campaigned in support of the founding of Cornell University as a secular university. The whole idea that science and theology or science and Christianity are at war is disproved very clearly by history, by the very fact that the founders of the scientific revolution, those people who in the uh, 17th century really got science going, were predominantly in majority Christian people. They believed in God and in Christ, and not just as a part of their cultural conformity, but actually people like Boyle and Newton and folks like that, who are the great scientists of those days, you know, 
were very deeply interested in their faith. In fact, Newton wrote more about theology than he did about science, even though he's looked to, as in a certain sense, one of the key founders of the scientific revolution. So it's simply not true as, as a historical fact that it was impossible to be a, a good scientist, in many cases a great scientist, and believe in God. And so this warfare myth that was used to promote the secularization of universities is relatively recent. And it's also disproved by the fact that in the centuries since the founding of the scientific revolution, there have continued to be large numbers of people who are theists and indeed Christians in many cases, who have been extremely effective, even famous scientists, much more famous than me. So I stand, if you like, just in a, a tradition of scientists much greater than me who have taken the view that no, uh, there isn't an inherent incompatibility between science and Christianity. Yes. And, you know, as you pointed out, it's the Christian worldview that gave birth to the modern sciences. And it's really the Christian worldview that provided the fertile ground for the sciences to flourish. And we noticed that the modern sciences didn't develop in the pantheistic cultures or, you know, or the animistic cultures, the cultures with a worldview that was divergent from the Christian worldview. Yeah, that's true. And and I explain this in considerably more detail in my book. My book, by the way, although its title starts, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? isn't just a, a book about miracles. It's a, it's a book about all the questions that I have been asked in the, at the many dozens of talks about science and Christianity that I've given at universities all around the country and indeed overseas too. So the book gathers together those kinds of questions and groups them and tries to answer them in a consistent way. And, and one of the questions uh, that arises is to do with this historical fact that Christianity was a kind of fertile cradle in which science found its first true birth. And uh, that's another aspect, I think, which goes to disprove this warfare mythology. I don't want to put too much emphasis on this interpretation of history. I do think that there is a sense in which Christian theology is, in fact, highly hospitable to modern science as we know it. But I don't want to make too much of that other than to say it gives the lie to this myth that science and faith are always at war, which, by the way, that myth has been thoroughly debunked by historians of science over the last few decades. Yes. Also in your book here, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles by InterVarsity Press? Outstanding book here. There's also that myth that Christianity is bad for science. And you cite some examples that, you know, Galileo is the classic example mm -hmm. of how Christianity limited or thwarted the process of science. Could you, could you address that example just briefly? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's an example which is salutary for Christians to think about as well as, as, well as for atheists. Atheists often put it forward as, uh, as Galileo being kind of this historical saint of science who was oppressed and discriminated against by the church. I mean, there was a sense in which the church did discipline Galileo for ways in which he said and did things that it had told him not to do. It's really a caricature of what really happened to put him forward as some kind of scientific hero in this. He was 
uh, prickly character in lots of ways. But I think what's interesting about the Galileo situation, of course, the Galileo argument was all about whether the sun orbits the Earth or whether the Earth orbits the Sun. And there were, at the time, there was growing evidence amongst the scientific community, although not convincing and, not, and certainly not at any kind of con complete proof, that in fact the Sun did not orbit the Earth, but the Earth orbited the Sun. And of course that meant that the Earth must move. And there were those very often scientists within the church, or, or at least aspiring scientists within the church, who argued from scripture, pointing to the Psalms where it says, you know, the earth is firmly established and cannot be moved, and said, well, look there, the Bible says the earth can't be moved, so it can't possibly be the, the case that the earth uh, orbits the sun. Well, that was just a misinterpretation of a poetic passage in the Bible, trying to use it as some deciding factor in a question of science. And that was a big part of what led to Galileo being censored, censured by the, by the Catholic Church for promoting the Copernican system. Of course, in the end, science has shown, and the Church now agrees, as far as I know, but essentially all churches agree, that the Earth orbits the sun. And so what has happened to us and the Christian church is the interpretation of the scriptures has been changed. We no longer look at those passages in um, the Psalms and misinterpret them in the way that was done in Galileo's day and, and in some cases earlier. So I think it's important for, for Christians also to stop and say, well, what is the relationship between science and interpretation in the Bible? And realize that it's a two-way street. It's not just that I believe the Bible and whenever science says something that appears to be different from my interpretation of the Bible, it must be wrong. It is that, yes, I believe the Bible, and certainly I personally um, have a very high view of the Scriptures, but I, I think it's vitally important to recognize that we have to interpret the Scriptures as we do any writing. And sometimes the book of God's works, in other words, nature, and the book of God's words, the Bible, can mutually help each other in terms of interpretation. So we shouldn't pit them against one another. We should instead use them to help us interpret them both. Yes. So you gave a great example there where, you know, the Bible was not wrong. It was our interpretation of the Bible yeah. that was wrong. And so this is where general revelation or study of the natural world and the sciences can help us in refining or sometimes even correcting our interpretation of the scriptures. So we shouldn't throw out science right away when it disagrees with our interpretation of the Bible. That's what you're saying, right? That's exactly what I'm saying. You know, how else do the two work together? I mean, the relationship between faith and science. You mentioned in your book that there are times Christianity oversteps its bounds into the sciences, and there are times when science oversteps its bounds, you know, into the world of faith. What is that relationship there? Where do we find the balance? Well, I think the whole chapter about the relationship between the Bible and science in my book, and I think the, the heart of what I want to say about that is to recognize that the Bible is a very rich book full of different types of literature. It has history, it has biography, it has poetry, it has songs, it has letters, it has prophecies, etc., etc. But one thing it absolutely doesn't have is scientific literature. Scientific literature simply didn't exist when the Bible was written, and therefore it's 
seems to me very clear. We should not approach the Bible expecting it to explain science to us or, or teach us science. And so that's, I think, the most important thing to realize. And, but it's, of course, something that is often ignored. That advice is simply not ignored by the critics of faith because they poke fun at the Bible and, and say, well, the Bible is wrong because it doesn't you know, teach us this truth about science. It has some cosmology, cosmological picture, which is different. But it also, unfortunately, in some strands of, our, of the Christian faith, people also don't take that advice to heart, and, and they try to read the Bible as if it's kind of a scientific cosmology. But I think that's simply a mistake. So when it comes to the early chapters of Genesis, for example, which, which tell us about God's creation of the world, what's most crucially important to realize about those early chapters of Genesis is that the message that is there for us as Christians to read is not an explanation of exactly how how God created the world, but it's it's that he created it. This was written to the early Hebrews who were surrounded by, uh, you know, tribal tribes with their own tribal gods, and, and the Hebrews themselves were learning through their interaction with God that their God was not just a tribal deity like those of the people around about them, but that if God was God, that God created the whole thing, that there was one God and that he was the creator of the entirety. And I thought that was a great and challenging interview with Dr. Ian Hutchinson. You know, as I stated many times on Evidence and Answers here, we interview men and women who do not necessarily agree with us down the line on all issues. But nevertheless, if they have done significant work and have something important to say, I believe they're worth listening to and having a voice here and discussing and, and challenging our thinking here on Evidence and Answers. And really, that's what we're all about. Dr. Ian Hutchinson is a man deeply committed to Christ and a significant scientist in our time today. He's an MIT professor in physics and engineering, doing some great work in plasma energy. And he wrote a very challenging book, Can a Scientist Believe in Miracles? An MIT professor answers questions of God and science. And there are many parts of that interview that I really thoroughly enjoyed and thought he did a fantastic job on talking about the alleged war between science and Christianity, talking about the limits of science, talking about the shortcomings of scientism, the understanding of faith in science. I thought he did just an outstanding job there. It was a little uncomfortable, and I think some of our listeners might have been, when it came to the area of miracles, you know, we agree that it is a violation of natural law. And, uh, you know, some parts I cringed a little when you talked about Peter's denial, perhaps being a good guess by Christ. I think that one, you know, Jesus Christ being the incarnate Son of God, sees the future as clearly as he sees the present, God being beyond time and space. So he made a very accurate, miraculous, prophetic prediction of Peter's denial. I don't think it was a good guess. I think it was a prophecy that he saw clearly being the divine son of God. The Red Sea, he may have just stated it in a way that was not clear. I believe that God used the forces of nature in a miraculous way to part the Red Sea. So it was indeed a miracle, not purely something natural. And I, I don't think that was his intent there. I agree that the Bible is a pre-science book. We shouldn't read too much science into the Bible. But one thing I wanted to make clear, and I'm, I'm sure Dr. Hutchinson would agree, we're 
the Bible speaks of the created order of, of the natural world, what it says is indeed true. And there are truths about creation stated in the Bible that indeed science in recent days has affirmed. You know, for example, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word there is bara, out of nothing, God created the universe. And I think science, big bang theory, indeed, in which the universe explodes into being out of nothing, upholds that premise in Genesis that God created the universe out of nothing. And so, although the Bible is a pre-scientific book, indeed, he is correct there. When it does speak of the created order, indeed, what it says is true, and there are aspects of that truth that science does affirm. When the Bible does speak of the created order, what it says is indeed true, and indeed, modern science has affirmed that. So I think this was a very challenging interview. I think this is a very challenging book to read. And I think overall, we would agree with most of what Dr. Hutchinson had to say. So I hope everyone listening enjoyed that interview and found it very challenging. And I hope you come to the same conclusion Dr. Hutchinson and I have come to, that Christians do not need to be afraid of the sciences. God speaks through special revelation, His Word, and general revelation through His world that He created. And I hope you come to the same conclusion we both came to, that science and biblical faith are indeed complementary and not contradictory. This is Pat Zucker and your host of Evidence and Answers, and we'll see you next time here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence.